Lord, thank you for a great morning and opportunities to have wonderful conversations in the hallways. And Lord, you're overwhelming to us in mercy and grace. And just like the little video clip shared with us, Lord, we, we are given opportunities to serve the weak and the struggling because at one time we were weak and struggling. Never let us forget that. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you would open up the windows of heaven and just rain down your glory on this place. And Lord, as we ordain Brother Jamie into our deacon ministry, I pray that our church will listen to this message today, not because of who presents it, but because of where it comes from. Because Lord, it comes from your word and your heart. So Lord, thank you for the servant leaders that we presently have. Thank you for all the servant leaders that will be raised up in the days ahead. Because for us to continue to grow as a church, we must continue to ever widen that base of leadership. But that means we got to have servants that are willing to do whatever it takes to not only minister right here in our walls, but in our community in the city of Athens and Limestone County and beyond. So now, Father... Hide your preacher behind the cross and let us minister your word and may you be praised. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Greg. Thank you all for being here today. We did things a little bit different at the beginning with a little video and counting down and asking those of you who are first-time guests to fill out that worship registration card. And if you hadn't done that, please do it for us. And if you missed the offering plate, at the conclusion of the service, several of us will be hanging around and you can make sure that gets into our hand and into our pocket and we'll make sure it gets to the right place. A few weeks ago, we started our series about being all in. And today we talk about the call of the servant leader. Brother Jamie Grantham and his family have been here with our church for a number of years. And I have the great honor and privilege of ordaining him today to become a part of our deacon ministry. And so at 8.30 and 9.45 this morning, I've just preached this sermon, but now, Brother Jamie, I get to personalize it a little bit, and I get to direct it toward him and to Miss June and their family. But it's not only to them, but it's to all of us to raise up servant leaders in our church. And I know of no better way to do that than to give you a little bit of background of the scripture that we're gonna be preaching on here in just a few minutes. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are traveling on that 20-mile stretch between Jericho and Jerusalem. And in the midst of that 20-mile uh, stretch, they're having conversations. They are in small groups talking to one another. And then finally, a couple of the guys are going to branch off and have a personal conversation with Jesus. But it's during this time that Jesus tells them a third time that he's going to die that he has to face death. And he gets pretty graphic about what's going to happen. Notice with me on the screen in Mark chapter 10, it says, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him, and he will rise after three days. That's some strong words. And of course, Jesus is referring to himself, the son of man. 
And so he's telling his disciples a third time, I'm going to die. I'm going to be leaving you guys. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to be leaving you guys. Now, you would think that this would cause the disciples to think of Jesus and all that he was about to go through. But no, they start thinking of themselves yet again, and they start positioning themselves. What are you talking about, Joel? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10, and beginning at verse 35, and we will realize that creating pecking orders is not something new and is only happening in the 21st century. It also happened in the first century as well. The Bible says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Man, they got some audacity, don't they? I mean, coming to Jesus, and he's just told them a third time, I'm about to die. And so they don't come and show compassion for Jesus. They're trying to make sure that in the kingdom of God, that they're in the right place at the right time in the right position. Because in the first century in Jewish thought, the right hand of the king was the place of the greatest prominence. So if you got to sit at the right hand of the prime minister, the right hand of the president, the right hand of the king, you are, you are a big shot. I mean, people looked up to you. And, that, and that's what James and John wanted. And on the left hand was the second most coveted seat. So you would actually be bookends to the king. And that's what these, these young men were aspiring for. But notice the response of Jesus. You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with a baptism with which I am baptized? Have you ever wanted something so badly? You, you wanted that promotion at your job and then you got it and said, I want to go back to what I was doing before. Of course you have. Have you ever wanted to be in a relationship with that person and you got in that relationship and you said, help me, Jesus, help me get out of this. Of course you have. All of us have been there. The cup in this passage of Scripture symbolizes the wrath of God. So what Jesus was telling James and John, do you understand what you're asking for? You're actually soliciting for the wrath of God. Baptism in this context is not immersion in water. It's actually immersion in disaster. Because all of the disciples would eventually save John would experience a martyr's death. Throughout the first century, they would find themselves in Ethiopia. They would find themselves in Europe. They would find themselves propagating the gospel, and it would make enough people mad, and they would kill them. So Jesus says, do you have any idea what you're asking to be at my right hand and to be at my left hand? But notice their response. He says, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. Now, we have to understand that the decisions that we make are not made in a vacuum. They not only affect you, but they also affect others around you. And what James and John were asking on that journey between Jericho and Jerusalem that day also affected the other ten disciples. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant 
at James and John. They were jealous. They beat us to the punch. They got to Jesus before we did. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus is about to give them a great lesson in saying, We don't do it like the world system. We do it like the kingdom of God. Because by aspiring to greatness, the disciples are thinking like Gentile rulers, like Augustus and Tiberius and Caligula and Claudius and Nero, just to name a few. He says, you don't want to be like them. You don't want to jockey for position. You don't want the places of prominence for your own glory. No, you shouldn't desire that. You shouldn't want that. And then Jesus says in verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Yeah. You want to be great? Serve people. You want to make a difference? Serve people. Because people are God's most appreciable asset. Buildings come and go. Organizations come and go. But God's people and the opportunity to minister to them? And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. So I think Jesus emphatically declares that we don't work like the world works. We have a different system. We must be servant leaders. We must think of others before we think of ourselves. You know what? I saw a whole lot of that at Vacation Bible School last week. I asked David Carter to leave up our backdrop just so it would be a constant reminder to me to thank the over 100 volunteers every day that made Vacation Bible School possible. Individuals who took unpaid time off from their jobs. They took vacation days. Individuals that worked night shift actually would not get a whole lot of rest because they were so geared up and fired up from VBS that a lot of them went on two or three hours sleep. Why? Because they love kids. They want to make a difference in the lives of young people. They are what the Bible calls servant leaders. And then Jesus sort of capsulates all this in verse 45. And I hope it does the same for you. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. I lay down my life for Joe. I lay down my life for Zeke and Danny. I pray that I would... If I was called into military service, I would lay down my life for my country. Are we willing, like Jesus, to lay down our lives? Maybe not in death, but of our time and our treasure. To be willing to say, I'll be counted in children's ministry. I'll be counted in youth ministry. I'll be counted. Why? Because there's people that you can reach that I can't. And God wants to use you. Just like he's used Brother Jamie Grantham, and he will use Jamie in the future as one of our deacons. Are we willing, like Jesus, to come not to be served, but to serve? Because as a deacon and as a pastor, we're not here to be served. We are called to serve. Whatever that means, in whatever context. And yet, we live in... A different day, if you will, than years ago. Because the sacrifice of Jesus 
was the necessary ransom in the first century that is still applicable today in the 21st century. And it is also our example to follow. It is our example to emulate. And when you see that beautiful word ransom, it indicates the price that is paid to free a slave or to free someone who is in prison. Jesus Christ died on the cross as our ransom. To God be the glory. And I'm grateful to stand now on his behalf as one of his heralds, one of his messengers, one of his preachers to declare this good news of the gospel. So, Pastor, I understand, but what does that have to do with a deacon ordination? Because being a deacon is about serving. It's not about power. It's not about plaudits or promotion. It's simply about serving. You know, sometimes a pastor hears horror stories about deacons. There's fear and trepidation when that meeting rolls around every month. I've been in ministry 30 plus years now, and I know of at least two pastors who broke off conversations with pastor search committees because of the reputation of the deacons. Servant leaders can make or break the reputation and mission of the local church. But here I stand before you, 30 years in, and I'm so grateful for the deacon chairpersons and the deacons that I've been blessed and I am blessed to serve with. Because I've never had those type issues. And I am grateful. I've been in pastor's conferences. I've been in pastor's meetings with the associational office. And hear the horror stories and the war stories of all of those type things. But praise God, First Baptist Athens, we don't have those kind of men. We've got men who love God, they love their church, and they love their families. And so Jamie is joining a group of men who say, I'm willing to serve. In fact, the background of what the Bible says about the call and mission of a servant leader, we Baptists call them deacons. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to give you just a quick background, if I may. The first 13 verses of 1 Timothy 3 are the qualifications of an overseer. That word is transliterated episcope. For deacon, the translated word is diakonos. Now, verses 1 through 7 focus on that episcope or elder. That's where we get our English word episcopal. This would be a modern-day elder, pastor, teacher, or staff member in the local church. However, today, our focus is on verses 8 through 13, the background and spiritual qualifications of a diakonos or a deacon servant leader. Someone has noted that while there are only two biblically supported officers in the church, there are always four bones in every organization. Which one of these bones are you? There's the wish bones. They're always wishing somebody would do something about the problem. There are the jaw bones. These folks do most of the talking, but very little else. Then there's the knuckle bones, those who knock everything. And then there are what I saw last week at Vacation Bible School, the backbones. Those who carry out the brunt of the load and do most of the work. I think if you ask the pastors of our 48,000 plus Southern Baptist churches, we need more backbones. We need more men and women of God who will help us to accomplish the vision of the season that we are in. And beloved, we are in a beautiful season here at First Baptist Athens. God is being so good to us. It's way beyond what we deserve, but that's why they call it grace. 
So in the midst of this season of grace, what do we do? We go to the Word. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect. Not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. I know Jamie Grantham to be and do all of these things. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. And here in just a few months, we'll have some deacons rolling off. And then we will have an opportunity for many of you to recommend someone to us that you see these particular characteristics in their lives. What's beautiful, usually in the fall of the year when this starts taking place, we have a whole lot of guys that say, I don't have to have a title to serve. Brother Jamie has never had to have the title to serve. So many others don't have to have a title to serve. And I'm very grateful for those kind of men and women of God that says, I don't have to have that. But you know what? I'll serve anywhere in our church where I need to serve. That makes pastors very happy of those who are just willing to do it for God's glory. June, wives too, must be worthy of respect, not slander, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Miss June has been over our WE program for a number of years. And I see in her a godly wife, a godly mom who loves the Lord Jesus and loves our church. Deacons must be husbands of one wife. I don't think Gene would like it if he was married to someone else at the same time. Managing their children in their own households competently. Beautiful family all. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask Jamie and our other deacons to be reminded of this. Two things I want us to pull out of these few verses. Deacons are advisors. I've not been in a deacons meeting since I've been your pastor where a deacon stood up and got in my face and told me what I had to do. But they've advised me, and it's been incredible wisdom. Wisdom that's beyond my years. Some of these guys have been a deacon longer than I've been alive. I would be a fool not to listen to them. To not allow them to advise me as I serve here in this local church. So yes, deacons are advisors, but also deacons are examples. We should be able to look at their marriage. We should be able to look at their kids. We should be able to look at their family and say, that's something that I could emulate. So no one expects deacons' families or pastors' families to be perfect. But we certainly want them to be real. We don't want there to be pretense. We don't want it to be anything else but just, this is who we are. We love Jesus and we strive every day to do God's will. I see that in Jamie and his family. And I look forward to Jamie's advisement and continue to observe his example. So based on Scripture, overseers or elders or pastors that are called to lead through teaching, exactly what I'm doing right now. While deacons are servants called to lead through service, serving making sure that things are taken care of and things are handled. And again, you don't have to have a title to do this, but God's Word does say that deacons are an office. They are something that the local church is blessed with so that the work of ministry can continue.
Again, we've all heard the horror stories where deacons and pastors are at war with one another. And I'll share this with you based upon information shared with me by other pastors at other churches that there are moments where they don't know what to do because they have no support whatsoever. I'm so grateful for the support and the love and the prayers of our deacon body for our pastors. Pastors and deacons are to be allies, not enemies. Because if it ever becomes us and them, or us versus them, that church will begin a long death spiral downward. Those things have to be handled. They have to be prayed through. Prayerfully, Matthew 18 would kick in. And one person would go to another person and say, we've got to get this thing right. We've got to pray through this thing. And there's going to be moments where we have disagreements. We may want to do it one way and others want to do it another way. But prayerfully, through it all, there can be unity. We're not talking about the doctrines of our faith. We're talking about things that are on the periphery. We're talking about the how-tos, not the foundations, not the gospel. It'll never change. As long as I get to be your pastor, it won't. So this is where we stand. And this is where we stand together. So in closing, I want us to learn, if we can, from the first deacons. Turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6 quickly. Let's first of all look at the biblical call of a deacon. The Bible says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, and they were, the church was growing, it was exploding, thousands were being won to Christ, thousands were being baptized, a complaint, must have been a Baptist church, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let me tell you what the devil does sometimes. You see other churches and how they're growing and how they're prospering, and you think, man, they never have any problems. Until you sit down with their pastor and you realize if it happened in the first century, it's going to happen in the 21st century. There's going to be complaints. There's going to be criticisms. And what you've got to do is just have the capacity to keep loving people as a pastor, but also even as a deacon. The Bible says in the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, it doesn't mean that we want I've carried out my garbage before, and I'll do it again. I, I've made sure that I made my coffee cup presentable again after I've drank coffee out of it. I, I don't rely on everybody else to always do that for me. If they want to do that for me, that's fine, but they don't have to. I, I think God's Word teaches that we who are pastors should stay in the Word of God and preach the Word of God, but it doesn't mean that we are above being a servant. In fact, I believe we're to be like Jesus, and be willing to even lay down our lives. Now, you'll notice something in verse 2 that the word deacon is not mentioned. But there is a word that's related to the deacon that's used there. It's the word serve. It actually means to wait on tables. If you looked at a word picture of what a deacon was in the first century, they were a, a waiter of a table. In fact, they would wait on tables and then the word picture is that they would run so quickly from table to table, they would kick up the dust. That's what the word picture is for a deacon. The word was used in the sense of a function rather than a title. And we must be reminded that servant leadership is a process. It is not just a position. So as I try to wrap up, I want you to look at three Greek words with me. These are used in the New Testament to refer to deacons. First of all is diakonos. It's a noun that means servant or minister. So, Jamie, a servant and minister. 
Diakonia, a noun which means ministry or service. Then diakono, which is a verb that means to minister or serve. That's what Brother Jamie has done and will continue to do. That's what our deacons are to do, but it's not just for them. It's for all of us as well. Now, I see the need for deacons in the local church, which happens to lead us to the second point, the biblical selection and responsibility of a deacon. Look at verses 3 through 6. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And in just a few moments, I'm going to ask Jamie and June to come, and we're going to lay hands on them, and we're going to pray over them. So this begs the question, Joel, in 2019, why have deacons? Simply put, pastors cannot meet every need. We are all limited. And I shared this at 8.30 and again at 9.45, and I've been thinking about it. And, and it's just being honest. Preaching three services at age 35 is so much different than now preaching three services at age 55. It takes a little while longer for me to recover. And I understand that uh, I love to preach, and, and, I, and I'll preach to the day that I die prayerfully. But pastors cannot meet every need. We can't make every hospital call. We can't make every nursing home call. And our church is aging. And this is an incredible ministry of our church, that the older our church becomes, the more involved our deacons will have to be. Or there will be people who will feel left out. People who will feel like they've fallen through the cracks. And we cannot allow that to happen. Pastors and deacons work together for God's glory, but also for the church's good. Which brings us to our last point. And Brother Jamie has probably asked himself, you know, it's been months since I've started this deacon ministry. And I'm getting ordained in June. Is there any kind of reward somewhere out in the future? I do believe so. But I also believe there's a reward right now. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I, I believe that when deacons fulfill their responsibility and pastors fulfill their responsibility, a whole lot more people get saved. A whole lot more people are evangelized. Because we now have the ministry of the word while the service element is taken care of by the deacons. So let me give you a summation, if I may, of 1 Timothy 3 and Acts 6. The first deacons were believers, reputable, spirit-filled, wise, capable, but most of all, they were servants. Jamie, that's my simple ordination to you. Just keep doing what you've been doing, my brother. And join arm in arm with us who are servants that serve as pastors and also serve as deacons. Because in a nutshell, deacons are all in. And if they aren't, they need to step back from being a deacon. Because there's too much to lose and yet so much to gain. John Stott put it this way. 
The authority by which the Christian leader leads is not power, but love. Not force, but example. Not coercion, but reasoned persuasion. Leaders have power, but power is safe only in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. This is the style of leadership that we must continue to have at First Baptist Athens. And for all of those who are willing to follow him. A poem was given to me several years ago, originally written by one of our presidents in the early 20th century, Theodore Roosevelt. I've taken that particular poem and I have made it most appropriate for today. I did not ask Theodore Roosevelt's permission, so please forgive me. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the pastor or deacon stumbles. The credit belongs to the leader who is actually in the arena, whose face is covered by dust and sweat and burden, who strives passionately yet comes short again and again. Why? There is no effort without error and shortcoming. The leader who knows great enthusiasms, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. I think what we do at First Baptist Athens, we dare greatly. We are living in precarious times where things that I may say from the pulpit or even things you may teach from your Sunday school class could be posted on social media and people show up in front of your house and pick at you. That's the world in which we live. So the question is, will we become servant leaders? I have one last slide before our time of prayer. Your gifts are not about you. Leadership is not about you. Your purpose is not about you. A life of significance is about serving those who need your gifts, who need your leadership, and need your purpose. Copernicus burst onto the scene, and he upset the study of astronomy and science as the world knew it. He told them, earthlings, you are not the center of the universe. We are not the center of the universe. God put us here to serve others. Let us join Jamie. Let us join Miss June. Let us join their family and say, Lord, I will serve. I'll do whatever it is that you want me to do.